On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time Imon Irokti Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligam, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, resignations, financial trouble, and the man behind the Peter McVerry Trust. Homeless people are the most important people in my life. And there isn't anybody there who will distract me from homeless people in that sense. Long known for their generosity and tireless efforts to help homeless people, the Peter McVerry Trust is now fighting for its own survival. They told the government that they would need over €2 million to keep the lights on, to keep the show on the road. But actually the much bigger issue was it has an €8 million debt to revenue. With a major financial crisis, Shock resignations and government intervention at play, what is the future for the beleaguered charity? If more detail were to emerge that showed that the financial issues might be worse than what we know already, I think then you might have a situation where the public mood towards the trust would change. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Ellen Coyne, news correspondent with the Irish Independent, to look at the scandal surrounding the well-known housing charity and ask what effect this will have on the man who has dedicated his life to helping the homeless, Father Peter McFerry. Ellen, it's fair to say it's been a difficult few months for the Peter McVerry Trust. Before we get into the depth of it, just give us a high-level overview of what's been going on. So this all started to uh, unspool in the summer. The Peter McVerry Trust turned to the Department of Housing and said that they were in serious financial difficulty, that they were having major cash flow problems. In fact, we know they were pretty close to financial collapse at that point in time. They told the government that they would need over €2 million to keep the lights on, to keep the show on the road. But actually, the much bigger issue was it has an €8 million debt to revenue, which basically snowballed over the course of the pandemic in 2020. 2021 and 2022. Since September last year, the trust has been trying to pay that money back to revenue, but and it hasn't missed any payments, but that has had a significant impact on the cash flow of the trust and it's put it in the, the dire straits that it's in now. Well, let's go back to the beginning for context because the Peter McVerry Trust, it's 40 years old uh, this year. I didn't realise 
it goes all the way back to 1983. When you're talking about like housing and homelessness in Ireland, the Peter McVeary Trust is basically stitched into the DNA of how we look after homeless people and people with acute needs and people on the margins of society. In 1984, what we now know as the Peter McVeary Trust was formed and it basically formalised advocacy that Father Peter McVeary had been doing in Dublin since the 70s. What made it really special at the time was while it looked after homeless people, it was very holistic. So if you had addiction problems, if you're involved in sex work, if you were a child that was refusing to attend school, other shelters wouldn't have you, but the Peter McVeary Trust would. Um, and initially, kind of in the 80s and 90s, its main focus was providing shelter to people, so getting people off the streets. But in the last couple of decades, as the homelessness crisis has worsened, it's become way more ambitious and has actually been trying to provide own door secure accommodation for people under a strategy that's known as Housing First. That's an Irish government strategy. And over 6% of the services provided under that strategy, which is getting people with um, additional needs, physical and mental health needs into a house has been provided by the Peter McVeary Trust. So it's a huge household name and it's probably one of the biggest homeless charities in the country. Yeah, so people might think of it as a nice, mm -hmm. almost local Dublin charity, but it's actually a huge enterprise, isn't it? Oh, and it's national. Like it, its roots are obviously very much in Dublin's north inner city. But over the last couple of years, it's been expanding, maybe expanding too quickly. And it now has offices all over the country. And it is a, it is a housing body. This isn't a place that's providing overnight accommodation, sleeping bags or shelter for people. It's it's providing permanent homes for people. So it is a it's a really significant operation. And the demands that have been put on it have only increased as the housing crisis has gotten worse. We got a derelict building from uh, Dublin City Council a while ago. We renovated that into 11 apartments. It cost us €100,000 per apartment to do that. If we got €1 million, Euros, we could house permanently 8 to 10 homeless people. So in really simplistic terms, its main aim, it does lots of things, but its main aim is to, if you're a homeless person, that they will try and find you accommodation that is permanent and that you have a key to. Exactly. And the theory is that if you organise someone's housing first, the other problems that they might have, like addiction, mental health or physical health needs, will fall into place afterwards. But you have to give somebody a secure home before any of those other things can be sorted. So it's a very, very important social enterprise as well. And we don't really have another organisation of its size doing the same thing that the Peter McVeary Trust is currently doing. And obviously there are lots of people who volunteer and help out, but it is a Business, set up as a business effectively. So there are a significant number of staff and a big financial turnover and all the governance things that go with, with a company, basically. Exactly. It has, um, I think it has a staff of over 500 people and that's actually how it got into the situation that it was in. At the start of the pandemic, Revenue came up with this scheme that was supposed to help companies that were experiencing a shortfall in cash flow, that basically you could defer your tax liabilities until you were able to pay them. So the Peter McFerry Trust availed of that and warehoused its tax responsibilities for like PRSI and PAYE for 2020, 2021 and 2022. And it's worth saying, this was really common during the really pandemic. Common. This isn't a sign necessarily that any company was in trouble, but the way businesses operated changes changed hugely during the pandemic. There was less money coming in for some, less money going out. So this wasn't a sign, this wasn't a red flag in any sense that they would do this because lots and lots of businesses were doing it because it was practical. I think the fact that Revenue set up this scheme just was indicative of the fact that so many people needed it. But I suppose the Peter McFerry Trust availed of it 
for a very long time. And we now know that it resulted in this debt of over 8 million euro, um, only a tiny fraction of which has been paid back. And that is the debt that the Peter McVeary Trust is saddled with. And that is the reason it's turned around to the government and said that basically it needs a bailout of 8 million euro if it's to survive. The other thing which strikes me is obviously there's a lot of fundraising and and they do try to um, run it to some extent as a business, but it is ultimately a charity. Of their money, I think in 2021, they had 53 million in income that year, but 38 million of that came from the state. So this is a charity trying to do something about the housing crisis and the state are basically paying them to do services for that for to solve the problem that the state can. Exactly. And this is kind of like the chicken and egg vicious cycle that you're in with housing and also with other areas like mental health, where when the state falls down and isn't able to look after people or offer services, we sometimes become overly reliant on the charity sector, which, as you said, is funded by public money anyway. So if the state could use that same public money to offer better housing itself, it would kind of eliminate the need to rely on charities so much. But as you said there, you know, that 38 million is a signi- that it received in 2021 is a significant portion portion of all of the the money that was going into the Peter McVeary Trust that year, which is what makes this story so serious. And that is the reason that a statutory investigation was launched in the summer when this came to the attention of the Department of Housing. And also the reason why PwC had to be brought in to have a look at the the financial and governance situations at the Peter McVeary Trust. Um, And I suppose since then, we have heard a little bit from the charity itself, but we're still this still is a little bit of an opaque story. We know about the revenue debt, but um, Francis Doherty, who was the chief executive who came into place in the summer, only lasted a few months. He resigned in October and said that the board had basically made his position untenable. He hasn't spoken publicly, but we have seen his resignation letter. And in that letter, it does give us some clues about what is going on at the Peter McVeary Trust. He spoke about being really concerned by um, some of the management of donor funds, being concerned about some of the ways that the charity was spending money and kind of inferring that that might actually be a threat to the charity if or when that comes out in the public. So while we understand the debt situation and how the trust got into that position very clearly, it seems like there might be other elements to this story that we're not aware of yet, though you would imagine that that is probably going to come out in the um, in the statutory investigation. And what has the trust itself been saying publicly then about to explain this to people who might be donors, who might rely on their services? And I think, as you say, the wider public because there is a lot of taxpayers' money going in here. So how have they explained it? Apart from an interview that Peter McVeary gave himself on local radio, there hasn't been too much from the trust itself. It has been very careful to say that since it had that arrangement in place with revenue in September, it hasn't missed any of those payments. And it did put out a statement to say that it regretted the fact that Francis Doherty had made the the difficult decision to resign. But um, most of what we know, we've kind of learned from Father Peter McVeary, who obviously, you know, has been asked to talk about this. He has said that there is no evidence of fraud having happened at the trust and his understanding of what happened is when the housing crisis got worse the trust had to grow very very quickly and it was trying to house as many people as possible and according to Father McVeary that is kind of the the origin for the situation that it's in now the financial crisis that it's facing now. There have been several editions of this story if you like over the last few months since the summer really and there was one interesting piece in the Irish Times earlier this week which caught my eye which talked about a house or a property uh, in Dublin that had been sold in November of last year for €970,000 and 
the Peter McVeary Trust in April, so just what five, less than six months later, bought the same property for 1.8 million euro. Now, there is nothing that I've read in that story or seen to suggest it was anything untoward here, but it gives you a sense of the money that is moving around and the type of purchases that they're trying to make when you have a property market that is scalding hot. Exactly. And that is like, that is the big purchases, the big ticket items that the Peter McVeary Trust is trying to trade in at the moment. It has to buy big properties, huge properties that can be sublet into a lot of one bedroom apartments, which is kind of the main stock and trade for the Peter McVeary Trust. And I suppose, as you said, there's no evidence in that story that anything untoward happened. What's interesting, though, is that that purchase was only made in April at a time when the trust must have known obviously, about its revenue debt. And what's also interesting is since this financial crisis came into public view, one of the things that the trust has been trying to do to resolve its debt is to start selling properties. I think there was a €1 million property in Santry that was sold. Francis Doherty had said that he thought that there might be €6 million of um, emergency funding that could be got from the trust selling properties. So, That is a relevant part of this story as well. And I suppose into the future, depending on what the government decides to do, depending on whether or not it decides to give the trust this bailout that it's asked for, we might see more properties being sold, which obviously then has a knock-on effect on our housing crisis, which is in dire need. Like we need every single one-bedroom apartment we can find. So it is really relevant uh, to look at the way that the trust is buying properties and more pertinently, the properties that the trust now has to sell. Talk to me, Ellen, about the man. Uh, you wrote a feature not too long ago in the Irish Independent, uh, a profile on Father Peter McVeary. His name is attached to this, but it's important to say that there is no link of wrongdoing in any sense to him. He's not um, he's not the CEO anymore of the McVeary Trust, um, but it is his name here. But tell me about him. So Father Peter McVeary is basically a household name in Ireland. He has um, this immaculate reputation as being a righteous humanitarian. Since the 1970s, he's devoted his life to looking after the most marginalised people in society, people who have very often been kind of abandoned or left uncared for by other um, by other charities or other organisations. He actually came from a fairly would you call it a privileged or middle class background himself. He was born in 1944 and he grew up in Nori. His dad was a GP and his mother was a nurse and he actually credited his parents for a lot of the the ethos that we would recognise in Patrick, Father Peter McFerry now. They would never kind of go on family holidays too far away because his dad would kind of always be called back to look after people and his mother was actually raised as a Welsh Protestant but converted to Catholicism in order to marry Father McFerry's father and he said that basically he got that sense of duty towards others from his parents and also his faith as well. So he um, had a fairly privileged education. He went to Clongo's, the fee-paying school in Kildare. There was a plan that he would kind of go into medicine, kind of follow the family business, but instead he became uh, a person of faith. He taught briefly in Belvedere College, but in 1974, he went to live in a tenement that the Jesuits owned in Summerhill in Dublin. And the poverty that he witnessed there galvanized him and basically changed his life. He saw kind of rats that would be in um, in cots with babies, families who were on top of each other, desperate hygiene situations, really bad mental health situations, children who were just in desperate need of help. And off the back of that, it motivated him to set up um, a hostel for boys in Dublin. Teenage children were beginning to grow up in Ballymun. 
nothing for them to do. So it was an area which was being characterised with early school leaving, with high levels of crime and eventually high levels of drug use. So I asked Dublin City Council for a flat to use as a hostel and to my surprise and to their regret ever since, they gave me a flat. <laughs> but within three or four years, it became obvious to him that the need was so great that um, he needed to expand what he was doing. And I think by 1984, he had three hostels devoted to boys in Dublin. Um, they were known as Peter's Place. What was radical about them was instead of children going into care, they could stay in these hostels, which would keep them in their own communities, which was really life-changing for the families that these children belonged to. And uh, the Peter McVeary Trust, as we know it now, also made a habit of if somebody was turned away from another state hostel that was supposed to look after young boys or young girls, it, it never turned anybody away. It wouldn't refuse anybody. It strikes me, you said there that he had something of a, a privileged upbringing in a way. There was a quote in that piece that you wrote. We are a, in a country run by the privileged for the benefit of the privileged and everyone knows it except the privileged. That's quite the statement or quite the view of the world. Yeah, and I suppose his whole ethos was kind of all about uh, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. He took joy, I suppose, in making himself a thorn in the side for the Irish authorities. What was then the Eastern Health Board, now the HSE, had a policy of not looking after children if they were, to quote the Health Board, unwilling but not unable to return home. And Father Peter McVeary rightly identified the fact it was abandoning children who could be coming from abusive homes and didn't want to go home for very good reason. And he actually took the state to court and got that policy changed. Throughout the 90s, he took a really dim view of um, the way the country was spending money. All throughout the Celtic Tiger, he felt that the way that Ireland was uh, was spending money was obscene when we should have been proactively lifting people out of poverty. Last year, we took in €3 billion Euros extra in taxes that we had not forecast to take in. Yes. How anybody can be homeless in Ireland today baffles me. We are still an extremely wealthy country. And he was at the forefront of some really smart campaigns. One was to get a dedicated children's minister in this country and one was to get a children's ombudsman. Two really crucial roles that we have now that have proved to be instrumental actually in looking after children in homelessness and uh, refugee children as well. And it, it was around 2004 he actually stepped back from his official duties with the charity. Yeah, so I think uh, Father Peter McVeary always enjoyed the work on the ground more than, say, being involved in the ins and outs of a trust or a charity or being on a board. So he asked to kind of go back to doing what he loved. Obviously, as the housing crisis got worse, he became even more of a household name because I suppose a lot of people would recognise him as the main spokesperson for the Peter McVeary Trust. He was never afraid to challenge the government on its failings on housing, its failings on looking after homeless people. And I suppose around the same time that he stepped back, the charity, which had always been known as the Aroop Society, changed its name to the Peter McVeary Trust. The reason they gave was that the name was confusing, but I suppose a lot of people would recognise there was so much affection and warmth for Pat Father Peter McVeary. And if you're an organisation that relies on donations, why wouldn't you have the name of this really amazing campaigner above the door? And he is the person who founded the trust, so why wouldn't it be named after him? So he has kind of been a figurehead for it in recent years, but he hasn't been running it. This whole situation now where his name is attached to controversy must be incredibly uncomfortable. How has he been handling it? 
It is uncomfortable. And naturally enough, after this financial crisis went public, people wanted to talk to Father Peter McVeary and people wanted to know what he had to say. He did give an interview on a local radio station where he said that basically, as far as he knew, he hadn't been aware of financial irregularities. He said that there was no evidence of financial fraud. And the reason he gave for the the issues that the trust is having now is that over the last decade in particular, the Peter McVeary Trust, like a lot of other frontline housing organisations, has had to grow very fast. The pressure that's been put in it has been increasing exponentially. And it also has become proactively, I suppose, part of the the solution or hoped solution for the housing crisis. And the things that it has done um, have had to scale up dramatically. And I suppose that is obviously combined with the pandemic, which was devastating to not just businesses, but all kind of charities and trusts across the country. Um, And it just created a really unfortunate mix of circumstances that led to the situation that the trust is in now. What have the government and the Department of Housing, who obviously give a lot of money to the trust, how have they reacted to to all of this? So we know that when the trust asked for that over €2 million to just keep the show on the road, some interim funding was made available from the Department of Housing, but the Department of Housing didn't say how much. The trust has obviously asked for a bailout of €8 million and the government is considering that at the moment. The government is in a pretty difficult situation because €8 million is huge. The public don't like bailouts at all in any capacity. But we're in a situation where our housing need is absolutely dire. And I suppose officials in the department will have to consider if it might work out more expensive to not help the Peter McVeary Trust to lose one of the most integral parts to our response to housing and homelessness issues um, and to also have their house, have their homelessness numbers go up dramatically overnight if the if the trust fails. So I suppose you have that issue combined with the fact that even though this controversy is a big news story, which is why we're talking about it today, there is still a, a fairly a fairly deep well of public affection towards the Peter McVeary Trust. Housing remains the biggest social and political issue in the country. And I think that you haven't really seen this controversy catch fire with the public in the way that other controversies like RTE have, because I think the public are fair. They give a lot of credence to people who had good intentions. And finally, my my final question follows on from that really, though. Has there been enough damage to public trust in terms of we do we have any sense of donations or how people's support for the trust is is wavering? Or would you think if this drags on and we don't get clarity around some of the issues that have been going on, going back to the former CEO's letters, hinting at other problems, how does this all play out from here? I think that the thing that would have the trust fall out of favour with the public would be if we were to learn that public donations had been mismanaged. The public have a lot of goodwill towards organisations like the Peter McVeary Trust because everyone feels so strongly about the housing crisis. But I suppose if more detail were to emerge that showed that the financial issues might be worse than what we know already, I think then you might have a situation where the public mood towards the trust would change. But I think that for the moment, there isn't a huge amount of public anger towards this, but it's in everyone's interest, the trust Um, the Department of Housing, and I suppose just the housing sector more generally, that we actually get clarity on this sooner rather than later. I don't think it's in anyone's interest for this to drag on. Ellen Coyne, thank you very much. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Garrett Mulhall, researched by Dave Hanratty, with sound by John Smith. 
Archive clips were from RTE1, The Tommy Tiernan Show, The Ray Darcy Show, The Peter McVeary A View from the Basement documentary, and The Irish Independent. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts.